How many is ready for the word of God? I said, how many is ready for the word of God? I mean, you're really ready for it. One of the things that I've discovered is that whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. I'm going to say that again. Whatever you put into it is whatever you're going to get out of it. And so I'm asking you for the next 30 minutes, if you could open your heart up and be receptive today and hear what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. Now, I said this Wednesday night, but I think it's noteworthy to say it again, is that I just don't get up here and preach a canned sermon to you. I don't get one on Friday night and throw it in the microwave and heat it up this morning to give it to you. I've tried my best to seek the Lord and to give you a word this morning that can be not only informative, but also transformative in your life. And so I'm asking you at this time that we open our hearts up and we're receptive to it, that we listen to it. It's very easy for us to get distracted this morning, but whatever you put into it is whatever you get out of it. So I want you to buckle your seatbelts, your spiritual seatbelts, and I want you to listen to what the Spirit has to say. If you're a guest or a visitor this morning, I echo what uh, Pastor Ronnie and Pastor Brandon said. We welcome you. Please make sure you fill out that connection card. we just like to connect with you. And uh, we have a free gift for you in the foyer at the Next Point booth. So we welcome all of our guests today. Christ Point, give a great big God bless you to all of our guests today and tell them that you are glad that they are here. Amen. So just for a few moments, I know that you have been standing a long time, and I am trying my best to start a new custom here where the Word of God, when the Word of God is spoken and preached, uh, that we stand for the reading of the Scripture, and that is only out of respect. And how many knows that we live in a world where there's a lot of disrespect? And so I, I want to create a culture of, of respect and honor. And I know that we can honor the Lord by sitting in our seat. I know that. But let's just, there's something about uh, the way we do things. Things represent symbols. What we do are symbols and rituals. They, they represent something. And so uh, if you're not physically able to stand, don't worry about it. But those who are physically able and would stand, would you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God? As we take our Bibles today, we're going to look at the scriptures. We're going to look in two places. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 11 and verse number one. Now, I know you're thinking, what does this have to do with Pentecost? Well, if you just stay with me, I'll explain it to you, all right? Genesis chapter 11, and then we're going to flip over to Acts chapter 2. Starting with Genesis chapter 11 and beginning with verse number one. Here are the words of Moses. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass that as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come and let us make bricks and make them thoroughly, that they made bricks for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, and let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. And let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. 
And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they had proposed to do will be held from them. Verse 7, come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not, be, that they may not understand one another. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Acts chapter number 2, beginning with verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This morning, just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, Babel versus Pentecost. Babel versus Pentecost. Say that with me. Babel. Say it again. Babel. All right. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are present to do signs and wonders after your word. We pray that your word would go forth in power and boldness, that our minds are captivated by your word and our hearts receive the incorruptible seed of the word of God. We bind, rebuke, and bring to no effect every hindrance, and we thank you that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now would you lift your hands and thank the Lord for the power of God this morning. We pray that the power of God would be present. We pray that it would go forth in wisdom. We pray that our eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. That we may know the hope of your glory. In the name of Jesus, would you lift your hands right there and just say, Lord, I receive today. Open my heart that I would receive what you want me to receive. Only what you want me to receive. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. The United States of America doesn't appear to be so united. We're supposed to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. A people of life, liberty, and happiness. But unfortunately, my friends, we don't feel so brave. We don't feel so free, and we certainly don't feel so happy. We have become a divided people. From Main Street to Wall Street, we have become segregated and torn apart. 
This time, my friends, it's going to take more than a speech to unite us. I am not even sure if I've seen such division like I see today. We stand at a crossroads not only as a nation, but wholeheartedly as a church. And I am convinced that if the nation is going to get any better, the church has to be salt and light. And let me say this, and let me just say it very clear this morning, that the church of Jesus Christ is called to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Somebody should clap your hands right there. We are called to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. The recent events of this past week is a prime example of how corrupt humanity can be. And I'm convinced that the Church of Jesus Christ has the solution. One of us may ask, well, Pastor, how does the church have the solution? Well, remember the words of the prophet? Over 4,000 years ago, it still echoes in our ears today. He said it like this, and I quote, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God? Micah 6. Did you hear the words of the prophet? The prophet spoke to a rebellious generation and said, this is what the Lord requires of you. He requires that you do justly, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly before our God. My friends, we must speak against injustice. We must act justly. And we must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without fear or favor. We must be the hands and we must be the feet of Jesus. Our do has to be bigger than our want to. And as Christ Point Church and as your pastor, we condemn all forms of racism in this nation and in this church. I said we condemn all forms of racism in this nation and we condemn it in the church. Everybody in this building should be standing to your feet. The church of Jesus Christ is not a white church. It's not a brown church. It's not a yellow church. It's not a black church. It is the church composed of all colors, nations and tribes and kindreds. The church of Jesus Christ knows no color. The blood of Jesus knows no color. And my friends, heaven knows no color. 
When I was in Sunday school, they taught us that old song, Jesus loves the little children of the world. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are all precious in his sight. That's why John the Revelator looked up and heaven was rolled back like a scroll. And he wrote these words on the island of Patmos. And I quote, and they sung a new song saying, they sung a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, for you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Did you hear what the John the Revelator said? He said, I looked up and I saw that there was a company of people, a company of people that was slain, that was redeemed by the blood of Jesus out of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. You see, my friends, there is only one race. And it's called the human race. It is ironic today that we celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is a celebration in the church. We celebrate Christmas, Easter. Pentecost is a holiday. It's a holy day set aside where we remember the events of Scripture. And if there is any holiday we need to remember as Pentecostals, we need to remember Pentecost. It is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. It was a holiday over 2,000 years ago. And it's ironic that the events that has happened this week has happened on the week of Pentecost. And this morning, I want you to open your heart up, and I want you to look, uh, look at the two different worldviews, the worldview of Babel and the worldview of Pentecost, the government of Babel and the government of Pentecost, the principles of Babel and the principles of Pentecost. As we look at these two different worlds, they clash together. There's tension between Babel and Pentecost. And what I want to do just very briefly, I want to spend a few moments on each of them. I want to look at Babel and I want to give you the characteristics of what's going on. I want to look at Pentecost and I want to give you the characteristics of what's going on in that story. And then in the end, I want to tie them both together and I want you to see the significance of why Pentecost is important for this generation. I want to look at the similarities and I want to look at the differences. I want you to see the power that's found in Pentecost. I believe that it is very fitting for us uh, where we are as a nation and where we are as a church for us to look at Babel versus Pentecost. One of the things that I have found that as I study scripture, and that is this, the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Old Testament contained is New Testament 
explained. Whatever is found in the Old Testament is a foreshadow of what was to come in the New Testament. Both of them complement one another. The word testament means witness, the old witness. The new witness, the new agreement, the old agreement, the old covenant, the new covenant, the agreement between God and man in the Old Testament and the agreement between God and man in the New Testament. And I want you to see how the Old Testament contained is the New Testament explained. Let us first look at the story of Babel. You've already heard the words of Moses in Genesis chapter 11, beginning with verse number one through verse number 11. I want to recap to you what is going on in this story. Let me summarize what is happening in Babel. As we read the story, you will find that there was a group of people, the scripture says, coming together with one language. This group of people had one language. They were so unified that they built a city. And not only did they build a city, they built a tower that reached to the heavens. It impressed God so much that God came down to see what they were doing. And when he got there, he confounded their languages and he spread, spread them and scattered them throughout the face of the earth. And the scripture says the name of that place is Babel. Now, if you read the Old Testament, that is the city of Babylon later. You'll see that Babylon is the whore that's recorded in the book of Revelation. The whore that's, that's, that's set up on the saints and drank the blood of the saints. You see how that enemy has opposed God from day one. But I want you to see here that Babel has some few things in here that I want you to see that we certainly do not need to adopt. I want you to see a few things that I think is interesting. The first thing that I want you to see about Babel is this, is that if you you read the scriptures before the story of Babel, you will find that the world already had languages. The world already had nations existing. You see, when you read Genesis chapter 11, it looks as though that everybody had the same language. And at first glance, that's what it appears to be. But if you look at Genesis chapter 10 and verse number 5, I want you to see Genesis 10 verse 5. Uh, from there, the coastland of the Gentiles were separated into their lands. Everyone according to their what? Languages. According to their families into their nations. So would you say this with me? Languages already existed. Would you say this? Nations already existed. See, when Noah's sons got off of the earth, they would disperse throughout the world. And through them, languages and nations begin to exist. Genesis chapter 10 and verse number 31. Genesis 10 and verse 31 also indicates to us that nations and languages was already existing. The sons of Sham, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. Verse number 32 indicates to us as well that these families are the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations. From these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So my friends 
When you get to Genesis chapter 11, where it said the whole world had one language, and God scattered them throughout the world, the world was already forming nations, and the world was already having languages before the story of Babel. So that comes to the question or the statement of number two. What about the one language in Genesis chapter e number 11? The one language in Genesis chapter number 11. Number two, the one language that most people believe was an act of rebellion. In other words, the one language was learned. The one language was forced. It was a learned language. In other words, a group of people came together and they begin to build a city. They begin to build towers. They, they, they begin to form themselves into their own community and they adopted their own language. And everyone that was there was forced to speak a learned language. In other words, they were not diversified. In other words, they didn't celebrate diversity. In other words, they did not celebrate cultures. In other words, they were narrow-minded. This is the way we're going to do it. This is the language we're going to do it. This is the government that we have established. This is the way that we're going to do it. Babylon. Hmm. Number three. This story teaches us that the story of Babel also, these people, number three, they served many gods. They, they wasn't worshiping the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. They were worshiping many gods. They, 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 they were building a tower. Now, this tower uh, was a pyramid structure. It was made of mud. It was made of mortar and brick. It was just a solid structure and it looked like a pyramid and it almost looked like it had a steeple and it was pointing to the heavens. Okay. And beside of the tower was a temple. Now they have found the ruins of this place in the old city of Babylon. This really did exist. There was multiple places where towers were built to the heavens and temples to worship their gods. So here in this story, there is paganism, the worship of many gods. They were building a tower because these ancient people believed that the gods, plural, these gods had, can have access to humanity. So this, this tower gave the gods access. So whatever the gods were, they could have access when they came down into the tower. The temple was beside the tower. So the worshipers would go to the temple and they would worship and wait for the gods to come down in the tower and come into the temple. It was a dissension of the gods. Now, you say, well, pastor, how do you know they were pagan? Because the scripture tells us they were pagan. You've got to do a little research. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 2, it speaks of Abraham. You know, Abraham is listed in the next story, Genesis chapter 12. He was living in the, the country of Ur, of the Chaldeans. That was very close to Babel. In other words, the, 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 the region was saturated with paganism, and the Bible says that Abraham's father served many gods. So they were, they, were, they were very pagan. And that is why in Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I am the only God. 
and I want you to leave your city because I'm going to show you a city that's not made with your hands. I know they're building a city in Babel. I know that they're exalting their human achievement. But Abraham, I'm calling you out of the city. I'm calling you out of paganism. I'm calling you out of demonic activity. I'm going to reveal myself as the one and true and living God. And I'm going to show you a city that they know not of, whose builder and maker is God. So these people worshipped many gods. Number four, I believe the tower, the, the tower of Babel, these people were disobedient. Why were they disobedient? Because the scripture says in Genesis 1 and verse 28. Now, now you got to see the context here. I mean, this is very early. God said to the first humans that I want you to go and I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to feel the earth and I want you to have dominion. In other words, God's plan was this. Adam and Eve, I want you to have dominion over the earth. I want both of you to have children. And I want those children to have children's children's children. I want the whole earth to be populated. In other words, God is saying, I I want people on every part of the planet. I want nations and languages and kindreds and tribes and nations. I like diversity. I want people to be spread across the world. But in the Tower of Babel, these people disobeyed the command of God and said, we refuse to be scattered across the world. We refuse to go make nations. We refuse to do what you've told us to do. We will build our city here. We will worship our own gods. We will build our own city. We will enforce a common language for everyone to speak. Because that's what Babylon does. It controls people. It manipulates the hearts of men and women. It controls them. It knocks out diversity. It knocks out culture. It controls people. And these people were disobedient to the voice and the command of Almighty God. God said, go and make nations. Go diversify. Go have children. Go be spread across the world. You see, well, pastor, I don't know if I believe that. It's in the text. Look at it one more time. Genesis chapter number. 11 Genesis chapter number 11 and verse number 4 look at the words of Moses and they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is into heavens let us make a name for ourselves we're not going to make a name for God we're going to worship our own gods we're going to build our own city and they said least we be scattered abroad we better come together because we don't want to be scattered abroad. We don't want to follow the commandments of God. Do you see these people were disobedient? These people worshipped foreign gods. These people worshipped heavenly beings that were not the one true God. These people built their towers to heaven so they can have access to their gods. These people were forced to speak one language because the city wanted to control them and dominate them. 
Babylon, the system of the world. And that is why the Bible says that God scattered the people across the world. Number five, God scattered the people. When he came down, he gave them different languages. He made them speak different languages and scattered them. Why did God scatter them? Because that was his original will, to be scattered throughout the world. And so they disobeyed his will, and God says, it doesn't matter if you disobey my will. Will, it is still my plan. And if I said it, I'm God. I don't care how many temples you have. I don't care how many pyramids you've built. I don't care how many gods you have access to. My will is the final will. And I told you, I want you to be scattered throughout the world. And so he came down and he scatters them. You see that cultural differences and diversity is always God's plan. God celebrates culture. God celebrates, number six, he celebrates diversity. It's ironic to me that missionaries will leave America and go to different nations of the world and they want to Americanize those nations. And I want to let you know something, that when you're preaching the gospel in foreign countries, you've got to adapt to their culture. You can't go and try to adapt the American mindset to their culture. I'm telling you, the gospel supersedes the culture. Leave the culture alone and preach the gospel. He confused their languages. Why did he confuse their language? To accomplish his will. Number seven, he confused their language to accomplish his will. What was his will? To scatter them abroad. These people, number eight, they built a city out of pride, did they not? Instead of doing God's will, they built a city out of pride. And the Bible says in the last verse that when their language was scattered, they ceased from building. Number ten, they ceased from building. They stopped building when their languages was confused. You see, pastor, what are you saying? This is what I'm saying. The sin of Babel is simply this. Number one, the sin of Babel teaches us this, that mankind came together for the wrong reason. That was the sin of Babel. They came together. God was against building cities. God, he wasn't against nations and languages and cultures, but he was against the way they came together. The reason they came together, the motive of why they came together, they came together to control the people. They came together to worship their gods. They came together to put a name for themselves in the world. And God says, if you're going to do that, that's not my plan. That's not what I want done. Number two, the people wanted to stick together rather than carry out God's plan to spread diversity across the world. That was the sin of Babel. Now, I want you to stop and think for a moment. I thought about this story over and over, and I couldn't help but to think, and, and my spirit couldn't help but to see something that I saw before, but I never paid attention to. And I believe that this is the clue. This is the glue that holds the story together. The Bible says, look at it one more time. The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 11, Genesis chapter number 11, and the Bible says in verse number one, look at it. I want you to pay very close attention. If you don't, you might lose, you might lose it. Verse one, now the whole earth had a language in one speech, okay? And it came to pass that as they journeyed from the east, they journeyed from the east. They're coming from the east. They're moving towards the east is, is really what it's saying. 
east. Now, isn't it ironic? Let me read these scriptures to you. Everybody shout on the count of three, east. I believe that the Bible is a narrative of story, and I believe it tells a story of redemption. But I also believe that there are truths found in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. I don't want to be haphazard with what I want to say this morning, but I think it's a possibility. The Bible says they were moving towards the east. I want you to see these Scriptures this morning. I'm going to read them very carefully, and I want you, as a student of the Word of God, I want you to pay attention to the word east. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 24. Genesis 3, 24. I'll wait just for a moment because I want you to see it. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 24. If you could put it up there, please. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 24. And the Bible says, And so he drove the men, and he placed a cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden with a flaming sword, which was which turned every way, way to guard the way from the tree of life. So do you see what happens? Men, the, the scripture says Adam and Eve was driven from the garden, and they were driven eastward. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 6, Genesis chapter 4 verse 6, look at Cain. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Genesis chapter 13, verse 11. Genesis 13, verse 11. Then Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan. Lot journeyed east. Where was east? Sodom and Gomorrah. The plains of Sodom. And there they separated from each other. He separated from his uncle and went the opposite direction, east. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse number 8. Deuteronomy chapter 29. You'll see that there were certain uh, tribes of the Israelites. And what happened? Their inheritance, the Bible says, in verse number 29, verse number 8, their, their inheritance was given, the half of the inheritance was given towards the east. Leviticus chapter number 1 and verse number 16. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 16. It's interesting to me that part of the, the, the altar or part of the sacrifice on the brazen altar, when the priest got done, he would take some of it and he would cast the remaining of the, uh, the, the sacrifice and he would throw it to the east. Symbolizing that it's away from the temple, away from the presence of God. So could it be, not all the time, but I believe that this could be a strong case, not all the time, but it could be a strong case that east is actually moving away from the presence of God. It appears that when you go east, you move away from the presence of God. In other words, I think that in Genesis chapter 11, these people who were getting ready to build a city and getting ready to build a tower, they moved east, just like Cain moved east, just like Adam and Eve moved east, just like the tribes of the Israelites moved to the half to the east, just like the, 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 the rest of the sacrifice was thrown to the east, thrown away from the presence of God. Could it be that there's a type and a shadow here that when you move from the presence of God, you begin to build things God never said to build. Can I say that one more time? The point is, when you move in the wrong direction, you will always build things that God never said to build. They begin to build a tower. They begin to build a city. God never told them to do it. 
They begin to move east. They moved away from the presence of God. And when they moved away from the presence of God, they begin to build things God never said to build. And don't lose, don't lose pastor here. Let me just say this and let me say it loud and clear. Just because you build it doesn't mean he has authored it. Did you hear what I said? Just because you have built it doesn't mean he's authored it. Isn't it a shame that there are churches being built in America that God never said to build? There's ministries that being, that's being flourished around America. And just because their churches are flack, flocked out on Sunday morning doesn't mean that God said to build. Let me tell you something. Just because they're building it doesn't mean God has authored it. I'm telling you today that when we moved away from the presence of God, we will build things that God never said to build. Our nation right now is moving away from the presence of God. And when we move away from the presence of God, guess what we do? We build towers of racism. We build towers of injustice. We build towers of religion. When we move away from the presence of God, we begin to build towers that is not in Pentecost, but it is in the system of Babel. Hallelujah. Now, what about Pentecost? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, the author tells us, who is Luke, that there was about 120 disciples in an upper room somewhere. The scripture says they were praying for 10 days. I can't even get people to come to a midweek prayer meeting. They were there 10 days praying, seeking God for 10 days. And as they were seeking and praying for 10 days, that 120 believers in the upper room had an experience with the divine, had an experience with the supernatural. The scripture says they were up in the room on a holiday. The holiday is called Pentecost. The word Pentecost is the week is the week of feast or the week of harvest. It's it's a holiday where the Jews remembered what God did on Mount Sinai. You remember what God did on Mount Sinai? He came down in a wind. He came down in smoke and he gave Moses the law. It's similar to what happened on the day of Pentecost. He came down in a wind and he wasn't given the law in tablets anymore. He was writing the law on the hearts of the Jewish people. Can I hear an amen? 3,000 people died at Mount Sinai, but 3,000 people were converted by the sermon of Peter at the day of Pentecost. There's a similarity there. So the 120 disciples were in the upper room and what were they doing? They were there on a holiday day, they were remembering the story how God came down on a mountain and gave the law to his people. They were there praying. They were there fasting. And as they were praying and as they were fasting, the scripture says a sound came, a mighty sound came, a wind came, and the Bible says fire came in the room. The author who is Luke says it appeared as though, it looked as though that there was divided tongues of fire. In other words, he is trying to explain what is going on in the room. He says, when I looked around 
it, there wasn't actual tongues. It looked as though there was a tongue. There, there's fire on top of each of these people in the room. And they begin to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them the words to say. And the Bible says they left the room and they went out onto the streets of Jerusalem. And now you got to remember it's a holiday. And at holidays all the Jews were there. So these people went out of the upper room and they begin to speak with languages and guess what? Every nation under heaven was at Jerusalem celebrating the holiday and these people went out on the streets of Jerusalem, began to speak with other tongues and everybody in the city said, you're speaking my language. How do you know my language? I'm from Africa. I'm from Crete. I'm from there. How do you know my language and you are a Jew in Jerusalem? God gave diverse languages because God says, guess what I'm doing? I am scattering you out of the upper room and I want you to go preach the gospel to every creature under heaven. Did you, did you hear, hold on, did you hear what pastor just said? I want to scatter you, I want to scatter you out of the room and I want you to preach the gospel to every creature. It sounds as though it's a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Those people didn't want to leave. They wanted to have one language they wanted to have a learned language. They wanted to have a controlled language. But on the day of Pentecost, God is saying, I'm going to reverse what Babel did. I want you to get out of the room, and I'm going to teach you not a learned language. I'm going to give you an unlearned language so that you leave the room and you can preach the gospel to every creature because I love every nation. I love every tribe. I love every culture. I love every diverse kingdom. Somebody wave your hand and say, preach on, preacher. You see, Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. Hold on here. I'm not done. Did I tell you, remember I told you that they left east in Babel? They left east. When you leave east, it could represent you're going away from the presence of God. Number one, I want you to see the difference and the similarities between the stories. Number one, the people in the upper room, they moved towards the presence of God through prayer. How is that possible? Remember the story. The story says there was about 120 of them. The, the, the Bible says they were praying where? They were praying in the upper room. In other words, they were, the Bible says, Acts chapter 1 verse 12, they returned from Jerusalem, from the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem, which is a Sabbath day's journey. And the Bible says, and they entered in to an upper room. And it begins to list all the people that was there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the disciples were there. And then the Bible says, verse 14, they begin to continue in prayer and in supplication. And the Bible says they were praying. And when they were praying, they voted on another disciple. Because when you pray, you make right decisions. Can I hear an amen? And so when they begin to pray, they appointed the 12th disciple. After they appointed the 12th disciple, the Bible says as they prayed and they were in one accord and one 
might and one voice, the Spirit of God came in chapter number two. So that proves the point that before the Spirit came, they prayed. Before the power came, they prayed. Before miracles came, they prayed. Before fire came, they prayed. Before the wind came, they prayed. Ladies and gentlemen, what this church needs and what America needs is men and women of God who knows how to pray. We need fathers who know how to pray. We need mothers who know how to pray. We need brothers and sisters who know how to pray. We need church people who will get off the cell phone in the church service and pay attention and learn how to access God through prayer. Can somebody help this preacher preach? Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, Pastor, I want to be a person of prayer? Hallelujah. What we need is men and women who would pray again. What we need is men and women who will say, God, if you're going to do anything, do it through me. God, if you're going to do it again, do it through me. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, it will never happen unless we consecrate ourselves through an attitude of prayer. It will never happen unless we consecrate ourselves in an attitude of prayer. Listen to number two. And the story of Pentecost, the Lord, you know, I try to stay calm, but once in a while I just get excited. And I know I I'm yell sometimes. Some people like to tell it. Some people like to yell it. And I just like to yell it sometimes. Is this all right? Because if I don't believe it, you ain't going to believe it. Can I hear an amen? So the Lord didn't build a city in Pentecost. The Lord built a church. The Lord didn't build a city of one language. The Lord didn't build a city of just one culture. The Lord didn't just build a city of one nature, a, a, a nation. The Lord at Pentecost said, you know what I want to do? I want to spread these people across the world because I like diversity. I like cultures. I like tongues and nations and languages. He said, I want to build my church not just in Jerusalem. I want to build it throughout the world. I want to build it throughout the world. Hallelujah. Number three, they built a name for themselves in Babel. But the Bible says the name of Jesus was exalted on the day of Pentecost. Isn't that right? They baptized him with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The name of Jesus was exalted. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, that you are to be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the gift of the promise of the Holy Spirit. The name of Jesus was exalted. They preached Jesus in the power of the resurrection. Number four, they scattered. Number four, they scattered over all the earth to preach. Isn't that interesting? Is that when the Spirit came and they begin to speak with tongues, they begin to scatter throughout the world. Let me say this. Some people get freaked out about speaking in tongues. I don't know why you get freaked out about speaking in tongues. When there's other religions that do more freaky things that Pentecostals will ever do. Pentecost, say this with me. Pentecost is not weird. People are. Speaking in tongues is not weird. Crying is not weird. Falling on the floor is not weird. Expressing emotion to God is not weird. You don't have to do those things to be a Pentecostal, but if they do occur, it's not weird. The Lord came down 
with power. Did he not? He came down in power. Now get this. The story of Babel. Remember what I said? The tower was to pagan gods to give the pagan gods access. It's ironic that God came down. Not the gods. The God, the true God came down in the story of Babel. In the story of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. He came with power. He came with fervency. He came with unction. And it came as a symbol of fire. The Bible says the Lord came down, six tongues were understood by the people. Tongues were understood by the people for the purpose of preaching the gospel. You see, now in this story, this is what you call diverse tongues. The people of the city understood their native language. But also we do know that according to the book of Corinthians that Paul had the gift of the Spirit. Is glossolalia, a language to God. He said, I thank God that I pray to you more than all. So this tells me that the Holy Spirit could use diverse languages for the preaching of the gospel. Even though you don't know a language. Even though you've never been schooled in that language. Even though you've never been taught that language. It's possible the Lord could give you a language for the purpose of spreading the gospel. But it's also scriptural that the Lord gives you a private devotional prayer language to God. That when you pray in that language, you are praying to God. It is unknown to you, but it is not unknown to God. The Lord came down. Tongues were understood by the people. And guess what? The Tower of Babel, tongues scattered them. But in the day of Pentecost, seven tongues united them. Tongues united them, number seven. So, so tongues scattered them in Babel, but tongues united them at the story of Pentecost. In the story of Babel, they understood each other because they had one language, but they couldn't help one another. The story of Pentecost, they didn't understand each other, but they helped one another. Number nine, guess what happened? They were scattered across the world. They left the Pentecostal room. They left the upper room, and they went throughout the world, and they preached the gospel everywhere. Now, I'm going to close with this. You say, Pastor, what does Pentecost and Babel have in common? The point is this. In both stories, in both stories, the story of Babel and the story of Pentecost, in both stories, God's will is that you be scattered for his purpose. Now, when we think of the word scatter, we think in a negative term. But in this context, it is actually positive. In both stories, Babel needed to be scattered. In the story of Pentecost, they also needed to be scattered. For what purpose? They had to be scattered for the preaching of the gospel, to go to every country, to go to every nation around the world and preach the gospel. You see, in Babel, they stayed together and refused to go forth. But in Pentecost, they 
They was there temporarily to pray, and then they were scattered to preach the gospel. What are you saying, preacher? I am saying this, that Pentecost and Pentecostals, listen to me, Pentecostals, it is more, more, it's more than speaking in tongues. It is more than falling on the floor. It's more than having goosebumps. It's more than running around the building. Some of you fall on the floor, but I don't care if you fall on the floor. I want to see how straight you walk when you get up off the floor. Can I hear an amen? I don't care how many tongues you speak. You just better make sure you're not cussing in English either. Can I hear an amen? I care about holiness. I want integrity. I want character. I want growth. And our spiritual gifts does not qualify you to serve. So in both stories, what happened? In both stories, God scattered the people. But in Pentecost, languages are good. We want them. We want the prayer language. But what I want to tell you today, I want the Holy Spirit. I want the prayer language. I want the manifestation of the Spirit. But the essence of Pentecost is this, to go throughout the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The essence of Pentecost is, is you're not called to sit sour and soak. You're called to get up and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond the walls of this church, beyond Galena beyond Riverton, beyond Baxter, beyond Joplin. We are to take the world to the four corners of the earth. Take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Pentecost empowers us to take the gospel everywhere. I'm telling you, we're called to take the gospel to the Bahamas. We're called to take the gospel to Belize. We're called to take the gospel to Brazil. We're called to take the gospel to Mexico. We're called to take the gospel to New Zealand. We're called to take the gospel to Crete. We're called to take the gospel to the Philippines. We're called to take the gospel to Portugal. We're called to take the gospel to Chile and China. We're called to take the gospel to the Netherlands. We're called to take the gospel to Denmark. We're called to take the gospel to Ethiopia. Do you know why? Because we have been endued with power on high. And every time you get touched by fire, you can't sit in your church pew and act the same. Because when fire gets on you, you got to get up and move. If you really got the Holy Ghost like you said you got the Holy Ghost, you need to get out of your house and witness and tell the world about Jesus. Some of us have sat in that church pew so long, your butt print is on the pew. He's not called you to sit sour. Some, some people say, I want more of Jesus. I want more. You know how you get more of Jesus? When you get outside the walls of this church and you begin to open your mouth and you tell a lost and dying world about Jesus. It's not about you getting blessed all the time. It's not about you getting goosebumps all the time. It's not about seeing how many tongues you can do all the time. My God, we have developed a Christianity where it's all about me. We become junkies. Give me more, give me more, give me more. No, you've got enough on the inside of you to get up off of that pew and go tell somebody about Jesus. Somebody better help me out this morning. Hallelujah. 
Is there about 50 people? Get up off your seat and go grab a flag. Here, hurry. Is there anybody in the building? Get up off your seat. Go and run a flag and say, Pastor, I believe that Pentecost is more than speaking in tongues. Pentecost is for the nations. Pentecost is for every tribe. Pentecost is, come on, is there somebody? Get up out of your seat. Get up out of your seat. Get sitting there looking at me. Get up out of your seat. Run down here and grab a flag. Come on, get up out of your seat. Say, I believe that the gospel is more than speaking in tongues. The gospel is more than just a goosebump. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to take the gospel to the world. I'm telling you today, church, that Jesus loves every nation. Jesus loves every tribe. Jesus loves every kindred. Jesus loves every people group. And if we say we're Pentecostal, then my God, let's take the gospel to the world. Why are you sitting there looking at me? Could we at least stand to our feet and act like you agree with it? What's wrong? What, what's, you know, that's what's wrong with American culture. You have, you have 20 people on the football field that's sweating, doing all the work, while 100,000 people sitting there looking at you. You ever notice that? And that's what we do. 100,000 people watch 20 people do all the work. And that's, that's, that's the demise of the church. 20% 20 20 of the church does all the work. 20% of the church comes to prayer meeting. 20% of the church gives. 20% of the church. And the rest of us just come and sit on our church pews and listen to a nice sermon and go home. But that's not the gospel. He has commissioned us. He has commissioned us to do more than sit on church pews. If you're waiting for someone to give you a microphone so you can preach, then you're not being empowered by the Holy Ghost. You see, there's a city called Galena. Go start knocking on some doors and telling somebody about Jesus if you really want to preach. You say, well, pastor, that's easy for you to do because you're preaching, but I did it for years. I did it for years. I went to trailer courts and dressed kids and put them on the bus. I went on the street corners and preached the gospel. I knocked on doors. I'm not exempt from it. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is more than just come to church and sit in on the church pew and listen to a nice sermon. And then we clap because the pastor sweated a little bit and got excited. And so Monday morning he gets his paycheck and we just repeat the process over and over. So we just feed the, we just pay the coach week after week to hype us up and to get us excited and then we, we treat Jesus like a mascot. You know what they do with a the mascot? They bring the mascot out at the game once a week and everybody cheers and everybody shouts and the mascot does a few tricks for us and we're like oh that's cute and that's nice and then the mascot goes away and we forget about him. That's what we do in the church. We come to church and we shout and sing and bring Jesus out as a mascot. Jesus makes us feel good about everything we've done this week and then we all leave and go home and the next week we bring out the mascot again. I'm telling you, church is more than just a mascot. Church is more than just singing some songs. <laughs> 